Hello, everyone. I keep telling myself that I'm going to come up with some kind of really great intro that I say coming into every show. It's always the same thing over and over. And yet, I never stop to think about what I'm going to say before a show starts. I just start going. <laughs> we are back. Cincy Brewcast. Another week. Another show. Um, this time, we are live from 16 Lots. Well, we are recording live. Um, again, I don't really know how you say that in the world of podcasting. I'm live. You guys are live. <laughs> Welcome to the show, guys. Um, this is a podcast that tells you all about beer from a Cincinnati perspective. Um, I think there's a lot of beer podcasts out there, and there's not a whole lot here in Cincinnati. So we've got such a huge kind of growing, changing, evolving beer scene that um, when we started the show, we thought, you know what? We don't need to talk about everything else. We can just stay right here at home and do a show, and there's plenty to talk about. And there is. Um, this is, and I, it's a confession as a beer blogger that I hate saying, but this is the first time I've been in here since... 16 Lots has actually been open. That's right. Um, why don't you guys go ahead and kind of introduce yourselves, tell people who you are, what you do here, let them hear your voice, and figure out who you are. Uh, yeah, my name is Jeff Cosgrove. Uh, I am the brewmaster. I've uh, been a home brewer for about 21 years. And uh, Mike and I met uh, fall, late summer of last year, and uh, Mike saw an opportunity here in Mason, and uh, he had a vision, and I agreed with his vision and uh, we got together and launched 16 Lots Brewing Company here uh, about six, seven weeks ago, Mason. Yeah, my name is Mike Burton. Um, I am one of the co-founders as well. Uh, Jeff and I met through a mutual friend and I got a chance to taste his beer and that's when I knew I had found what I was looking for on the brewing side. So uh, that's how our relationship began. So we haven't known each other for very long, but We've become tight and strong very quickly. So A relationship formed over beer. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Like many others. So 16 Lots is, um, the f- is it the first brewery in Mason or just the first in a really long time? I, I didn't do any research on historically have there been breweries out here. That is a great question. I don't. I don't know the answer to that. Um, I know we are the first one in the modern era. Off the top of my head, I don't recall ever hearing right. of any out here. Which I mean, that's got to be a badge of honor too. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. The after this craft beer boom, it's a it's a big deal to be the first ones out here. But right, um, to bring beer out to an area that probably really has never had um, its own kind of places is a big thing, especially right. in an area like Cincinnati where there are breweries all over. Yep. Why Mason? Why is it? just this is this is my neighborhood why wouldn't i start it here or <laughs> yeah that's a good question i mean uh i moved out here a little over a year ago and you know i made some pretty early observations when i was still working at my prior job and um, i definitely saw there was an opportunity to have a craft brewing because there wasn't any up here yet and also just kind of a cool what i would call independent place that's kind of run managed and owned by people that live here and care about the community anybody who's ever ventured through mason or lives in mason kind of knows that there's a lot of chain places right it's one of those parts of town where it's kind of dominated by the you know friday's applebee's kind of um place yep and i think coupling that with making beer right here and being able to sell and 
really provide something to this community that's new and unique that and I think some people have never even experienced. I mean, I think that's part of what we see is people here still don't really know how to use us in some regards. Like, they're not used to the brew pub or brewery type environment. So they uh, are expecting uh, things that are a little different sometimes, like full service and right. things like that. And I think people are okay with what we have to provide. It's just a little bit of an education process to tell people and show people what what going to a brewery is all about well and it, it, i don't know how well it comes through on the recording but i don't know if people can hear the kids squealing in the background and i mean it's it's very much a uh, a modern kind of i mean i'll say brew pub because there is the bad monks pizza over there in the corner but um it's it's a family space it's a place to come hang out you've got shuffleboard you've got darts you know it's right um, you've got a great patio out front when the weather is actually today. The weather is nice, but yeah. it hasn't been lately. You know, it, right. it, it's it's a place that you want to come and you want to spend time and hang out. And uh, you have some really great couches over there, which is something that I think gets neglected at a few places. Um, it's it's a it's a perfect addition to an area that doesn't really have something like this. If you right. wanted to go out and have a beer, you were either going to Applebee's or something like that, or there's a lot of kind of divey places around that you could go right. have beer but i'm not bringing my baby to one of those places right, <laughs> right. if you had a family day, right. it, it, it works out very well um normally we, we start out the show with a segment called from the beer fridge where we just kind of run through a few beers we're going to sure. kind of we'll, we'll do that throughout the whole show we'll just kind of Great. as time goes we'll drink something here drink something there i've got the pilsner in front of me um why start off with a pilsner i mean that's that's kind of, I mean, that probably gets into your history a little bit here, which um, I guess is a good segue into that, but, you know, why why start out with a style that um, has it's got a reputation of, you know, Miller Light kind of, when people see Pilsner, I think that's what they think of. Is, is that why it's here, or? Well, no, uh, to be honest, one of the things I spent a lot of time in Germany in my former position, uh, and I just always had a fondness for true German-style beer. So this is a true German Pilsner. It's all German malts, all German hops. And to be honest, it's a style that's fairly difficult to execute. And one of the things that Mike and I discussed early on was the fact that a lot of the smaller breweries don't do true lagers. So we want to do right. true lagers here. Uh, we've just released our Oktoberfest, another you know, all German malt, all German hops, you know, true to style. It's you know, a, that's our philosophy a lager, here. It's yeah, not true, the true lagers. It's not, not the, yeah. the ale Correct. labeled with a uh, <laughs> Oktoberfest tag. Absolutely, and it's something to be honest. Uh, not I've if there's just, anything wrong with that for those of you doing it. It has its place. <laughs> I get it. So, no, I don't, just, so I don't get the emails. <laughs> it's a beer that I've uh, refined over several several years. I always have it on tap in my basement, and it's just a good solid true German Pilsner beer that I think people will appreciate. Yeah, I'll, and I'll, I'll hit it more from a marketing standpoint. Uh, well, first off, it's... it's I, I say this about a lot of Jeff's beers, but it's one of Jeff's best beers. <laughs> I, mean, we, I like to tell people here when they come here and ask me what to order is we don't really have any ugly children. Like, you got to figure out kind of style-wise what, what do you prefer, and I can kind of match you up with something that works. But for the Pilsner, I think in the community like this, I think you have a wide variety of exposure to craft brewing. So you have a lot of people that don't haven't been exposed to it, and they're looking for something that's a little bit more approachable, that is comfortable to them. So if they're traditionally drinking, you know, the Miller Lights, the Bud Lights, 
giving them something to start with that proves that we know what we're doing, we can make really good beer that tastes great, and then start stepping them up into different styles over the course of time. Because we do have a lot of regulars, and we have people that are here weekly and multiple times a week, and you can kind of guide them a little bit as they progress. Take them on the journey. Exactly, (laughs) right. I, well, I, I find myself too, you know, it's, it's been a long work day today and, you know, when I walk in the door here, first thing I want isn't a, a stout or a big IPA or something. I want something clean and refreshing that kind of yeah. starts off easy and, you know, you can appreciate some of the smaller nuances in it that I will get lost after a couple other bigger beers. So I, you yeah. know, I, I always appreciate whether there's something like this to start off with. Um, the name, The Major, um, any insight where, where that comes from? Sure, I'll take it. Uh, so it, everything that we've done here is really tied into the Mason community from the name 16 Lots, which is based on the history of the founding of the city of Mason. So the story goes that Major William Mason, the major, uh, came back from the Revolutionary War in 1803 as a veteran, and he purchased 640 acres of land between the Little Miami and Great Miami River, and he platted that land into 16 lots. And those 16 lots is what is now at the time was called Palmyra. They ended up changing the name of the city when they realized there was another Palmyra. Palmyra? Yeah. So I, they, I didn't know that. Yeah, so they changed the name to Mason after Major Mason, uh, after he had passed. So that became what is now downtown Mason, those 16 lots. So we wanted the Pilsner to be named after... So the poor guy didn't ever get to see the city named after him? I think that's correct. Nor did he get to see beers named after him? That's right, exactly. <laughs> Man. <laughs> so yeah, we wanted to make our Pilsner named after the founder of the city well and it, there's there's a lot of ties with the names of beers to kind of that history of mason which you know when you again when you step foot in mason you don't think of it being you know when you're in some parts of cincinnati it, it oozes history and you you right. see it and it's right in your face a place like this it's you know lots of big expansive neighborhoods built on farm fields and you don't think of the history of the area necessarily and so yep. it's it's fun again to have a place like this that kind of forces you into that that mindset and makes you right. kind of appreciate what this what this area does have historically right, right. there's more yeah. to the history of the city than the founding of fields herbal road right so. <laughs> well, i guess it depends who you ask right <laughs> um so some of the other beer names uh 1803 that's, I guess, the, the year it was founded. That's correct. Um, That's the year Major Mason moved here and bought the 640 acres of land. Uh, we have Treaty. Yeah. What's, where's that one come from? It's just more thematic with that Revolutionary War idea. So the Treaty, um, the Homestead, um, the War Horse, War Horse are all in that same vein. And then Oktoberfest. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we figured so, that one was kind of self-explanatory. Is, is that going to be kind of the way the, the seasonal beers come in? They won't have names necessarily that kind of follow that same theme. It'll just be style so you know what it is. <laughs> no, that's a, good, that's a great question, though, because we were just talking about our innovation pipeline before you got here and really laying out because we're about to put a big order for, from, from a distribution standpoint on a bunch of tap handles and when we buy that chunk of tap handles, we want to make sure we have all of our beers yeah. for the next year covered. So really figuring out what are the you know 12 or 13 different styles that Jeff's going to make outside of the six that we, we started with and start working on names for all those in the next week so we can get the tap handles associated with them. So most of them will have names. And so that's, that's a good question, too. So how many, how many beers on tap do you guys expect to when, when things are all kind of filled in and rolling 
um, on yeah. tap at any given time. I think perfect scenario is 12. So we have our tap uh, tower has 16 taps to go with 16 lots. Uh, we always felt it was important to have alternatives to beer. There's root not, beer on tap. Yeah, not for yeah. us, but for others. So we have... Uh, we I'm have, not going to turn down a glass of root beer from time to time. Oh, yeah, the craft sodas are great. So we have two sodas. We have a, the root beer will always be there, and then we have a rotator. Right now it's cream soda, and then we're working into an orange cream. Uh, they're all from Sprecher in right. Wisconsin, great products. And then we also have two ciders that we bring in. We have three on tap now because we have some empty holes. So uh, over time we'll just have two ciders for those that we don't want a couple to not come here because one of the one of the two doesn't want to, doesn't like to drink beer. So. Is there any plan to drift into that territory yourselves and make your own cider or anything? Short answer is yes. I mean, we need to have uh, be another space capital. And everything. Yeah, I don't know if we need as much space anymore. The regulations are evolving. I know we would have to have dedicated equipment. Right. The good news with that is that stuff never touches the brew house. So you're basically just dumping apple juice, con- con- you know, full apple juice into a fermentation tank and then adding to it what you want to add to it to get the flavor profile you want so um so really we just need to get another 10 barrel fermentation tank so ideally yeah i think jeff makes great cider too so he's got an appetite for that so down the road perhaps but for now we're we're pretty much partnered in with cider boys with a few different items um we may bring something in that's a little drier that might be even locally produced in the short term we're not prepared to announce anything yet but we've had some discussions we got to try the products first but We'd love to support local if we right. could. I just, I, with cider, it's, it's this realm that I've just started getting into. And I just I find everything just to be like this really over-carbonated, dry juice. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's what everything tastes like to me. And I'm, just, I'm so desperate to find things that are, that are different. And yeah. um, I'm just not finding anything locally yet. And I, I want somebody to dive into cider and really start putting out some, yep. some neat stuff. So. Cool. Um, I, I plug it in whenever I can to get people to make their own yeah. ciders for the hopes yeah. that it right. be something exciting. <laughs> but ideally, we'd have the two two sodas, two ciders, and that leaves 12 taps left. So the six flagships will always remain. And then uh, over time, having six that are constantly rotating, so a couple are coming off every month and a couple new are coming in, is the perfect scenario for us. So... We've got the Oktoberfest now. As we roll into winter, are there plans for some kind of uh, winter warmer Christmas beer or something? Oh, yeah, absolutely. As Mike alluded to earlier, we're just planning that schedule out. Uh, I think the first one we're going to do is a robust or stronger porter. Uh, I think I'm probably going to split that batch and, you know, add some vanilla, keg, you know, keg probably half of it, add some vanilla to the second half to uh, give it a little twist on that and then absolutely a, a you know a nice strong christmas ale fantastic and uh <laughs> then of course uh you know by popular demand uh people have been asking for a little bit stronger or double or imperial ipa whatever you'd like to call it and i've got a good recipe for that that we initially uh on the startup we figured we probably didn't want to serve those in pint glasses so we've uh, just gotten some of the uh smaller smaller glasses that we can serve a beer like that appropriately to people you know Talking about people coming here asking for you know an Imperial IPA or something. What, what have you guys seen as far as uh, as you, know, you talked about people coming in regulars that really didn't know about craft beer? What has that split kind of been with people that this is 
we, we've uh, lived here and we didn't go to places like this because we right. didn't have them versus people who were craft beer people like finally you know something opens here close right. to us no there's there, there's a fair amount of savvy people that uh you know and they've certainly given us their input you know from Hefeweizens to right. Belgian Dark Strongs to Saisons I mean there's certainly an appetite for all those sort of beers out here and we've just got to get to the point where we start providing with that but yeah people right. are certainly not shy about letting you know what they'd like to like yeah. to have on tap. What's been the most popular so far? Has it been the IPA or Yes. Barley sells it's not it's not the runaway, so everybody pretty much told us that with a six lineup we could assume that thirty five percent of our sales would be IPA. It's not. Um, the the um, the major is close, number two. And uh, what's been the biggest surprise pleasantly is the eighteen oh three, the pale, the American pale has crushed to a point where we actually saw that it wasn't on tap there yeah, for a little while. <laughs> yeah, for a very brief snapshot, and hopefully the only snapshot. But uh, the funny story is, we made 20 barrels of the Warhorse and we made 20 barrels of the Major, and then but we had only made 10 of the 1803 because we have two 20 barrel tanks and two tens, and we just weren't keeping a close enough eye on the inventory. And all of a sudden, we had the holy crap moment. A couple Saturdays ago, I was like, we only have two and a half kegs of that left. So, so yeah, Jeff pulled an all nighter to get it in the tank, so we had it up for this week's service so we only i think we blew it what last thursday and we had it up back up on the, this wednesday that's pretty good that's not too bad i've yeah. there's been a lot of worse horror stories around town right. of people running out of beer and yeah. having to literally close their doors for <laughs> for a few weeks to get caught back up so yeah initially we were uh, guessing we, we're, we thought the wheat and the amber would probably outperform so and not that they're lagging by any means but it's the 1803 did sneak up on us so you know once we kind of start started to see the data and then obviously like mike said we said oh we only have a couple of these kegs left we got to make it now so well uh let's let's try something else here too if we can yeah. um before we take a break let's um let's try the Oktoberfest if yeah. we can you want me to um, just get a tasting board yeah, yeah if you just want to grab a couple tasters and yeah. we can go thank you and then we'll just sit here and talk while he's getting it. okay <laughs> so um, since I'm drinking the Pilsner, let's yes. let's talk about the Pilsner some more. It's, I think that there is a kind of a confusion about what Pilsner tastes like with a lot of even craft beer drinkers who fancy themselves, you know, you know experts. And I'm putting air quotes around that for people who can't see because you're on a podcast. Um, the, the, the distinction for me between the German and the Czech styles, I think, is is can can have a very wide um, wide stretch between the two. You know, the German styles with that that bready kind of floral side, which is definitely what this is. Versus um, I, the, the Czech, I get a lot of hoppier. I guess is the way I like to, yep. to put it towards people. You know, they're a lot crisper and that 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 real bright snap to them. Correct. Um, I think that. And I've I've said this and and I've been saying it for a long time that you know craft loggers are going to be way bigger in the future than they are now. Um, you said that you like to do loggers with four fermenters right now. How do you how do you how do you split that up? How do you do that? How do you how do you divide the time? I guess. Well, like Mike said, uh, you know we we pretty pretty well knew that the IPA. Uh, the Warhorse and the Major, the Pilsner, would be the two biggest sellers, which they are. So, you know, we, we correctly anticipated that, putting that, those into the 20-barrel fermenters. Right. Um, 
the Oktoberfest. You know, we were a little bit late coming out with that, but we knew, you know, it's a good solid beer that I've been making for a long time that people have quite frankly told me I should have on tap all year round. So uh, we put that into a 10. I think it's just a matter of, you know, as we see how this progresses, uh, you know, right now we've got a little excess capacity. Uh, we were able to go a little bit bigger than we expected. Um, so right now it's not quite quite an issue, but obviously in the springtime we'll have a Bach. Uh, I plan on doing a Mayfest or maybe like a Hellas Bach uh, kind of in the early, early, early summer, late spring. So... Uh, It's gotcha. just a matter of, uh, you know, planning it all out right now. We've got the capacity, so it's not quite an issue, and we uh, certainly have room for a couple more tanks uh, on our on our pad there, so uh, we can easily fit two more 20s and probably a few more 10s as well. So right now it's it's not an issue. So I'm going to drink the Oktoberfest. So this is 5.5%, 5.6, is that right? Correct. Again, it's it's dead on. Um, it sits more like in the, uh, the the fest beer realm for me, a little bit lighter, um, a little bit easier drinking. It's not one of those big kind of fill you up Oktoberfest like some of the the big right. giant Marzins are. Um, it's good. It's toasty. It's uh, it's got some breadiness going on still too, but it's got a crispness to it. It's got a little bit of a snap and. Yeah. Um, do you have any tasting notes for them? Were we already talking about that? No, it's 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 fantastic. No, I think he's nailed it spot on. I mean, that's the the type of Oktoberfest that I like. Something a little bit more flavorful than the fest beers. That I definitely like fest beers, but uh, not something so heavy and right, and sits, rich. Yeah, it's kind right of a, in the middle, yeah, kind right of in the, the middle, things. exactly. Um, I'm curious to see what that one tastes like as it warms up too, because it's nice and cold right now. <laughs> yeah, well, I brought um, you one of everything. So oh, fantastic. What's, <laughs> It's number six. Number six is the 1803. So that's the pale that's been recently. So, that's, so that's version two. <laughs> did you guys make any changes on version two? Or is we it? did not. No, and that's got some uh, locally grown Cascade hops in it uh, from Oshi Hops up there in uh, Jeffersonville. Oh, yeah, it's nice. I think our what separates ours, is, I think, is the pale ale genre in general has become a little bit more like IPAs over the course of time, like more super hoppy and bitter and bitey. And I think what, what Jeff wanted to create, and I agree with, is just a super solid well, traditional pale ale. It's earthy, too. It's not yeah. um, It's not those big, bitter kind of right. American hops. I mean, it is, but um, that, 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 that fresh hop side gives it kind of an earthy kind of... Yeah. Um, so the browner notes, not as much the greener notes. Yeah, I'm trying notes. to think of a yeah. good good word that sounds appetizing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whenever somebody says the brown note, I think of that beer by uh, was it against the grain with the uh, the guy on the front. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, it's 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 outdoorsy. It actually like coming into the fall when you start getting some of those the the the, the wet hop beers and stuff like this fits seasonally for me. I don't know yeah. how many people kind of associate this flavor with a, a fall yeah. season, but I, I definitely do. It's got quite the cult following, to be honest. I mean, we have a few guests that come in regularly that that is pretty much in, uh, exclusively what they drink. Yeah, that's great. 
Number five. Number five is the Homestead. That is the amber, as you can tell by the color. So, again, this is another style that, for me, I'll let Jeff speak to his intentions behind it. But uh, I think some of the ambers, again, have also gotten a little bit wilder in their style. And I think we wanted to create something that was traditional, caramely, malty, smooth, like a nice step up from a Pilsner type. That you that would be something you could introduce somebody that doesn't have a lot of craft beer experience that they would find, I think, very agreeable. There's there's a lot going on in there, too. It's not just, I mean, there's there's a few ambers out there that I guess people make just to provide that gateway beer. I hate the word right. gateway beer, but um, this I don't think is just that. I think it, it would satisfy somebody who is a little more, I guess, seasoned in their craft beer palate. It's... Um, there, there's there's a lot again a lot of those kind of earthy darker flavors going on a lot of a lot of caramel a lot of uh, almost dark fruit going on too it's uh, yeah so Jeff is that good. largely based on the the malt bill that we used for that yeah but once again I think he's picking up some of the Ohio grown the Cascade hops I think from Ohio have a little bit of those notes in them. And as you said, uh, yeah, that's something we wanted to create and bring it back. As we said earlier on, we want to be true to style here. That's a true amber beer, not so much the the West Coast where they're getting crazy with the hops and some of the other breweries have done here where it's overwhelmed by hops. We wanted people to have something, uh, that kind of next step up that someone that's maybe a little scared of dark beer to say, hey, this is something I can drink and enjoy. And uh, yeah, I've got a nice mix of malts and you might even be able to pick up a little way down deep in there some chocolate as well yeah, it's, when it warms up probably a bit you could probably get get that note out of it it's fantastic let's let's do one more before we take a break here is this that is the warhorse yes so this also jeff i mean a lot of what we've what jeff's created on this one specifically is there's a challenge in the hop market to make sure you can find all the hops that you want so uh, one of the challenges we had when we were creating it is we don't want to create something that with the hop we knew we can get one time and then struggle to find. So uh, the good news is the hop market seems to be opening up for future brews. We, we looks like we'll be able to get our hands on pretty much anything we want. But for this one, Jeff did a great job of getting the right double bang of what I call tropical fruit as well as pine to give us a nice balanced, well-rounded IPA. It's not too much of a kick in the mouth or a kick in the bitterness palate. I'm trying to think of what that that tropical fruit for what that reminds me of. There's um, it's not like a like a pineapple-y kind of um, I definitely I definitely get the pine afterwards. The, the fruit I cannot place what it tastes like to me. But it's, for me it's passion fruit. Uh, that could be it. But yeah. Yeah, what I try to do is I, I picked up a, a hop that a lot of people weren't using. Uh, so once, you know, that made it somewhat readily available and then also differentiate us and give it some flavors that people weren't used to. And I think you figured it, that out there. It, some... it twists around a lot. Like it goes in a lot of different places. It, it starts yeah. out in one place and then goes to that passion fruit that you're talking yeah. about and then definitely ends with with that pine straight up. There's yeah. nothing else. It's pine at the end. Yeah. It's, and it was fascinating when we when we made it. It was great. Like when we first put it in the tank, it was just exploding with those fruit flavors. And then over time, before we dry hopped it, it 
started to, le- to lose it. And then when we, when we dry hopped it with both of the hops that we use in the blend, it immediately came back in spades, and it was, it was great to see. I don't know if I consider myself an IPA, like, uh, I don't want to say I'm not an IPA fan, but I'm definitely not an IPA nut, like I think a lot of people are. Right. I don't know if I'm kind of bored with them, or, you know, just, I, I don't know, but um, this one definitely stands out for me so far. I mean, I definitely love the Pilsner, but yeah. um, this is one of the more exciting IPAs that I've had in a, in a while, just wow. because um, that... that that journey and that with the hops, I man, that it, it goes in a lot of different places that I don't think a lot of IPAs are going right now, and especially in one IPA. I feel like it's it's kind of almost three different beers kind of mixed together in different parts of the taste. It's fun. I, again, I'm excited to see how it warms up too. Yeah. Um, let's take a quick break. I want to talk about um, kind of where you guys are headed, where you where you go from here, how how big is too big you know all those all those fun questions that uh, are so fun to ask when somebody first opens yeah. up and we'll be right back Cincy Brewcast the voice of Cincy Craft you know there's no need to be up <laughs> beer, beer is about having fun the dream, the dream is definitely the fact that we went from homebrewing in a garage to where we are today, right? That is, that is the dream. Where we go from here, we're gonna, we're gonna continue to figure out as we grow. Uh, we, uh, and we don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. Can you have more fun with your clothes on? I don't think so. <laughs> We're listening to Cincy Brewcast, the voice of Cincy Craft. This is Steve Shaw. This is Eric Bosler. Hi, my name is Gamal Nagy. Hey, y'all. This is Sean Willingham. This is Brett Coleman-Baker. Hi, I'm Scott LaFollette. Hi, this is Evan Rouse. Cellar Dweller Craft Beers. Darkness Brewing. Rivertown Brewing Company. Municipal Brew Works. Urban Artifact Brewing. Blank Slate Brewing. Braxton Brewing Company in Covington, Kentucky. In Cincinnati. In Northside. In Hamilton, Ohio. Bellevue, Kentucky. Mar, Ohio. You're listening to Cincy Brewcast. Cincy Brewcast. And you're listening to Cincy Brewcast. The voice. The voice. The voice of Cincy Craft. <laughs> Hi, this is Mike Stokes from Cincy Brew Bus. Cincinnati's craft beer scene is growing, and we want to take you to those locations. Here at Cincy Brew Bus, we love to introduce people to craft beer here locally in Cincinnati. We have an amazing craft beer scene. We have lots of routes to choose from and a lot of different places we can visit. Cincy Brew Bus is Cincinnati's premier and original craft brewery tour. We're the number one rated tour for breweries on TripAdvisor. We're the number one rated food and drink experience on TripAdvisor. And we're also the number two total tour overall on TripAdvisor here for Cincinnati. At Cincy Brew Bus, we provide a VIP tour experience for the novice and for the expert craft beer drinker. We like to take you out, show you how the beer is made, tell you about Cincinnati's rich brewing history, and at the same time, have fun, do some trivia, and drink some locally made fresh craft beer. I look at I look at the Bud Light drinkers out there as a you know a forest to be harvested. They're all out there and, and they don't know any better yet, but they will. You don't you don't ever hear somebody say, Yeah, I used to drink that craft beer crap. But I <laughs> I went back to my Bud Light. You don't hear that, do you? No, you don't. You're listening to Cincy Brickcast, the voice of Cincy Craft. 
the voice of Cincy Craft. We're back. Cincy Brewcast, the voice of Cincy Craft. Um, if you have been listening to the show and you haven't gotten on iTunes and uh, rated it and reviewed it and subscribed and shared and all that stuff, please do that. Um, I'm being told more and more by people that I need to get on that more and tell people to do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm a terrible podcast. I'm, I'm, I'm a terrible podcaster. I'm a terrible blogger. Like I just, I'm, I'm in this to drink. I mean, look, look at some friends. I'm in this to drink beer. <laughs> So sometimes I forget to do all the things that all of the other podcasters are like, man, you uh, you got to tell people to do that stuff. They don't know that. So please do that. Get on and share the show, rate the show, um, all that fun stuff. Um, lots of big things coming in the next uh, next few months. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. Um, we're still drinking. We're still here at 16 Lots, uh, working our way through the lineup. You guys started off with a pretty good solid lineup of different styles um i feel like that's kind of the way things are 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 shifting with new breweries it seemed at one time people would open up and they would have three beers on tap it'll be those same three beers for the first six months and then they would start to add slowly over time how soon do you guys anticipate that you'll have you know all all 12 of those beers up there on the on the board what's what's the goal <laughs> i don't know that we've uh particularly set out a goal per se but uh you know like i said uh the porters is up next the robust porter and uh you know splitting that batch between a regular and then and some vanilla to second the uh the double ipa or imperial ipa and then the christmas i mean we should have all those out in the next couple of weeks yeah so, if we uh, get, and if we get that then you're you're all of a sudden you're at 11 because we the Oktoberfest isn't going away anytime soon. That's right. the, the beauty of a brewing on a 10-barrel system. When you when you put your foot down and start making a, a really good beer, you're going to get a lot of it. So um, it'll overlap quite a bit. And that's a good question, too. So when you guys were, were planning all this out and trying to decide, you know, how big of a system, you know, the, the how, how big question, we're going to stick on that for a while. But for as far as the 10-barrel the system versus a... Versus a five barrel versus a people open with twenty barrel now you know like right. how is that decision made um, to figure out how big to be as far as the brewing system? Well, to be honest, I think you know initially we were, we kind of thought the sweet spot for this area was around seven, and uh, as we came into this space, uh, we found a much bigger space than we anticipated in a space that we really liked you know just half a mile south of downtown Mason here. So we really felt that uh, a 10-barrel system, because as you well know, the incremental cost going from a 7 to a 10 is, is pretty marginal. So, you know, we felt in some, uh, consulting with some of our other friends in the uh, Cincinnati brewing community, they, they highly recommended that we get a 10-barrel system up here and uh, that we wouldn't have any, any problems with that. So Yeah, I think the universal feedback you hear from most people, especially the ones that probably bought smaller than they would have wished to, is buy as much as you can afford. I don't know that I necessarily subscribe to that in totality because raising money and borrowing money is easy. So, and the equipment's not that painfully expensive. So it's not hard to get your way to a 20 or 30. 
But if you think about, you know, one of the wildly successful brands here in this market being Madtree, they were making 25,000 plus barrels on a twin 15. You can make a lot of beer on a 10, a 15 and get yourself set up pretty well and really understand the nuance and complexity because there's a lot that goes into it as far as how much grain, mashing out. I mean, everything that you do, it's like if you're used to doing homebrew type stuff, it's like wildly different. And I couldn't imagine going from Jeff working on his system at home to a 20 or a 30 barrel. It, it, it boggles the mind. So the, the, the big question is how, how big is too big and, you know, the brew system's one thing, but you know, like you said, Mad Tree on a on a 15 barrel system became a they're becoming a regional juggernaut. They're definitely right. a local juggernaut. They're they're pretty big. Uh, well, I mean, they're they're definitely very big now with 100 barrels. But um, how how big does 16 lots be? You know, we we talked about Nine Giant. I don't know if we were did we talk about Nine Giant on the air? Or did I think we were off the air. But yeah, they're friends um, of ours. Nine yeah. Giant. Not big, you know, five-barrel right. brew house. Um, you know, Dogberry did a lot of things on their, on their one-barrel for a while before they 10 now, but right. uh, Fibonacci on a one-barrel, you know. So there's, there's this huge range of ideas about spread and how, how big a brewery is. So how, how big is too big for you guys? And I'd I, love to I, hear Jeff's yeah, I'd like to hear you both point of answer. view first. <laughs> Well, the input I received, you know, we bought our equipment from Portland Kettle Works. Uh, their input was that was the biggest system anyone had bought that didn't have prior professional brewing experience. So I guess from that standpoint, probably the biggest anyone had bought from them was a five or a seven. Uh, to me, it's all about the fermenters. I mean, the size of the system, I've got a chemical engineering background. I, I think the size isn't intimidating to me by any means, even coming from a home brewing background. And, you know, you can scale down if you want a little more flexibility. We've got room for two big, two more 20-barrel fermenters. Or, you know, we may decide that we want more flexibility and get, you know, just a lot more tens. And, you know, I think that as we pan out into distribution and uh, decide, you can always make a smaller batch on a 10. So, you know, from what I've seen here, a 10 is certainly, uh, would a 15 or a 20 be too big? I guess I can't really answer that question because I don't but have even, experience, but we can e certainly make Even aside from the actual brew house size, like the, the spread of, of where 16 lots hits, you know, how, how big do you want this place? To, do you want to be on tap at, you know, Great American Ballpark? Do you want to be, um, you know, sponsoring uh, whatever the latest event down there is and have the uh, 16 lots beer garden or like you know what right you know the gondola that stretches across over the run that keeps being talked about for Ryan guys you know like what how i think, how I think i'll let mike answer but no i mean like what we've always strived to do and our primary focus is to serve this mason you know mason westchester loveland i live in loveland that this kind of northern suburbs and do that very very well of course you know we'd like it to be so successful that it, it pans out into something like that but you know that's our primary focus and goal right now and you know down the road i think we'd love to see that but it's unclear at this point yeah i mean for me i think i think jeff's right the first step is to really do do it well up here and make sure the community is embracing us we're making really good product i mean aside from size what's most important to me as a marketer and as a as a business owner is making sure we've got great product so having great beer, having a kitchen that makes great pizza and Mad Monks, having a space that people really enjoy. So 
getting ticking off some of those what I would call brand metrics is critically important in the short term for indicators of the ability to have bigger growth and longer term success. Uh, and then we're starting with distribution push as we speak. It's going quite well. Uh, everybody that's testing our beers and, and sampling everything has been incredibly complimentary and is anxious. Um, we're in a nice time frame too in that people want to support local and people want to buy local. So, uh, But our products, I think, stand up pretty well with whatever else is being produced. And uh, we're going to push it as far as we can where it makes sense financially. Um, the bigger question is canning, bottling, pro uh, packaged product. That's a much bigger leap with a, probably another equity and debt financing round because we wouldn't do that here. Um, so I, I, I would say that we'd probably hold that question for another 18 months. But yeah, I would love to have a bigger presence in Cincinnati. We're looking at um, do we distribute down there? We have friends that know people for EG, and I have friends that own other bars and things like that. It's like, at what point does it make sense if we can get critical mass and if we can get 10 places downtown Cincinnati that like the well, beer and want to carry it, do we set up a route going down there? Well, and I, I almost see it a lot of times as another tool almost as, as marketing to get people up here. You know, if you are somewhere down there and you see a 60 lots beer and, well, that's local. I've never been there. And you try it there. Like, oh, that's that's good. I need to go up there and see that place. And then I suddenly agree. you've got a person that is visiting here regularly. So um, I lost. I was I had a little spinoff of that question that I lost <laughs> for a second. Uh, so you're, you're you guys are both definitely comfortable with being bigger. Yes. Um but it's not necessarily the goal? Is that a good way to... Uh, I think to that's a fair way to put it. I mean, I think servicing this community and doing things that are important, like great products, um, you know, being a part of the community, doing, you know, giving back and participating with local sports teams up here and school districts and things like that are absolutely paramount for us. I mean, it's it's hard for me to think that we're going to get a huge amount of people from that live in downtown Cincinnati to come up here regularly. You know, if the beer's good enough, they'll come and they'll come for a visit occasionally. But uh, I tell people all the time, we're going to live and die in the Northern neighborhoods. So doing well up here and making sure people are enjoying what we have to provide is, is job one. I mean, the, the beer scene up here has gotten exponentially better than it was two years ago. But it's still pretty few and far between if you live up here in the the, the north of the wall, as I like right. to say. You know, it's there's still not a lot of places considering how many craft beer drinkers there are. So um, I, I think you're you're dead on with that. But talking about distribution and starting to kind of spread out into that world, are you guys going self distribution route or are you partnering up with something? You've got Sprecher on tap, so it means you've talked to Cavalier at some point, and they. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, yeah. They sell they, they sell us our ciders, too. So, um, uh, no, we're going self in the short term. Uh, we think that's the way to go from a financial standpoint. It's obviously the best return. Um, you know, it's we're a bootstrapped organization. You know, we don't, we don't have a huge staff. You know, it's really just Jeff and I and, you know, a half a dozen servers that work behind the bar. That's the staff. So, Jeff and I do a lot outside of the hours of, of us being open here doing everything else and that includes selling 
and delivering beer to our friends that want to put us on tap. So we're going to do that as long as we can. I'm, I'm a firm believer in stress-based staffing. You stress the system and until it's stressed, you don't add the staff. When it's, when it's ready and, and able and we know we can grow bigger, um, then we add staff. But I think, we would, I, think I would rather go with self-distribution, add a, add a delivery truck, add a delivery person route than sign up a distributor in the short term. I think there is a, a danger when you jump in with a distributor that early of them getting a little overzealous too and wanting to get the beer here and get the beer here and stretch you guys out. And, right. Um, with a place like this with such a local focus, I, I think that's it, it, it could put you in a, a tough position if you do right. it too early. But so I think that's a smart move. Yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah, we don't want to run out of beer here either. I mean, this is. Well, and so when I talk to people before they open, I hear a lot, you know, I ask people, you know, what are, you, what are your fears right now? And it's always, well, is anybody going to show up? You know, like, are we going to open our doors and just nobody comes to drink the beer? Right. Um, obviously, that's not a fear anymore. You guys know that there's people that want to drink the beer. So how, what are those fears now? Like, what are you, what are you afraid of? Spiders. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, for, for me, it's uh, probably on the marketing side. I would say the biggest fear is um, dissatisfying a customer, either inadvertently, usually inadvertently. Um, in the social media world, it's... Do you pay attention to Untapped? We absolutely do. <laughs> Untapped. It's a scary place. <laughs> we, we're, we're very in tune with Facebook. So, um, you know, you, you frustrate a customer. It's very easy for them to throw shade at you so to speak uh quickly and you know it just it does impact other, how other people view you if they haven't been here before so um i'm fear that that's probably my biggest fear is just the the trolling nature the, the big mouth yeah. <laughs> the, the, yeah the big mouth uh, that comes in and right i have a high i mean to be quite honest i mean jeff and i are a little bit older you know we're pretty seasoned jeff's brewed for a long time i've run businesses for a long time i i feel confident in our ability to fiscally be responsible and manage the business appropriately. I know Jeff makes really good beer, so we have a good product to market. It's for me the fear lies in also just additional trial and awareness. I mean, that's the hardest thing to get from a marketing standpoint. And you do the slow burn, you get the word of mouth, which is great, and that's probably some of your strongest advocates are going to drive some real good customers. But how do you quickly get big, bigger and broader awareness so you have more people coming in more frequently? You go on Cincy Brewcast. Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly right. That's why we're friends with you. <laughs> Airing live across the universe every week. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think just to add on what Mike said, I mean, my biggest fear is you know, being a home brewer and never doing this professionally is people have always enjoyed my beer for free, so there's always that, oh, yeah, Jeff, this is really good. So I think for me, I always wanted to have, because you We've been around at some of the places that maybe don't have the best beer. And, uh, Do you pay attention to Untapped? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not that I, I, I haven't actually looked at any of your, your Untapped stuff that's come through, but I, you know, I'm well aware of the platform and how it can kind of take off in a weird area sometimes. No, um, I did a little bit at first, and uh, I'll be honest, I got my feelings hurt a little bit here and <laughs> well, there, but... Uh, no, I'll be, so that's, yeah. I'll be back in a few, so I do a well I'm getting ready to I'm probably kind of sharing too much about what's coming but 
um, there, a video segment on, on YouTube that is Mean Untapped rating. So, nice. you know, you, Jimmy Kimmel does like the celebrities reading mean tweets. Yeah. I have a segment where brewers read Mean Untapped reviews. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back for that. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's interesting on that because, I mean, it's much more valuable when they leave a comment because right. everybody's meter is different. So, like, I know some people that, you know, they would drink a zombie dust and they would rate it 375, where most people would say that's a four and a half plus beer. So some people are just very hard judges and some people are just very easy judges. So it's better to hear the context of what do they think about the beer. A hard number doesn't really tell you a whole lot. I don't think people realize, too, sometimes that that can affect some people's decision to order a beer or not order a beer if they just pull it up real quick and scroll through and see which ones are rated high which ones are rated low and uh, absolutely i sometimes wonder too if we're hitting a point where people who are on untapped kind of understand that untapped doesn't really mean anything (laughs) and have kind of stopped almost looking at the ratings and don't pay attention to it anymore so i don't know I think it's a good tool to find beers you like, and I think it's a place to get up to keep up to date with breweries you like. Right. So we, we do a marketing program with them, and we need to do a better job of, excuse me, keeping it fresh and updated with our events and calendar and things like I, that. I love getting a notification that tells me when something new is tapped at a brewery, and I, that, that's, you know, to keep track of what I've had and what I haven't had is, is what I use it for, but it's, yeah. it's probably a whole show in itself about untapped, and if yeah. it's awesome or evil or you know or both (laughs) yeah or a little bit of both uh what do you what do you want people to know about 16 lots that you think that they don't know already and you guys have been really great about explaining the story of uh, the the story behind the space and you know behind the the historical side of it and stuff but right um what do you think people don't know Jeff's punting to me, so <laughs> he's, um, he's done that a few times. Yeah, tonight. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, for me, the most important thing is that we care, and what we put together, we put together for this community. So, the space, you know, trans transforming what was uh, a cool little place, but probably not as nice as some places people would normally go. Uh, making it into some place they can be proud to go and be a part of, making great beer that's locally provided and produced, and making great food that people yeah, really like. I think we mentioned the food at the beginning, but I, I want to emphasize that big time that there is a an awesome pizza place in the very front of the rest of the, 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 the brew pub. When you walk in, there's pizza, salads, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, think... Catch a fire at Mad Tree 1.0. You know, very, very similar kind of idea. Um, yeah. It's it it it's a brew pub. It's a place that you can go and you can have dinner, and then you can hang out after dinner and play some games. Right. It's, yeah, and we care. I mean, we're local business owners. I mean, we're small business owners. We're local guys. We live in these communities. It's important to us that when people come in here, and, and we get this a lot, people say thank you for doing this. You know, for providing something like this in mason and i've stopped just saying you know that's humbling thank you to well then you need to support us you know you need to come in fairly frequently you need to tell Tell your your friends friends. tell tell everybody you know if you had a great experience and you really like the beer and the food tell your friends that they need to come check it out because that's how small businesses thrive and survive is through that 
simple communication loop. Well, it feels like we live in a world where people are very quick to uh, spread the word if they're unhappy about something or if they have a bad True. experience or they don't like something when they come in. And especially with beer, it's people come in and they expect the beer to be good. People don't come in and say, oh, well, it's, you know, they're, they're new and they have this, this period to kind of, that's gone now. People come in and they expect the beer to be on point from day one. Right. If it's not, they're going to say something. But if it is, like, oh, yeah, it's, it is, it's what it's supposed to be. You know? and they, they don't get out there and share that with people and tell right. people that they enjoyed themselves and yeah. that it's a great space to hang out. And yeah. The food's good and the beer's good. Like, they don't tell people that. So right. tell people. I think yep. that's uh, I kind agree. of the, the, the underlying thing of all. We just, just get around and just share with people. And, right. and we're here for them. And we're here for the, what hopefully the long term. I mean, that's... Jeff and I have no plans on building something and making phone calls to InBev to try to sell out. I mean, we're we're embedded in this community. We we plan to own this thing and be here for the long term. So this is what we want to be doing. Well, I think it it means a lot when it's a community that you guys are a part of. You know, you said you're in Loveland and you're here in Mason. This is this is your place as much as it is anybody else. This is right. where you're going to come hang out, even if you didn't own it. And right. so, I mean, that, that that means something with a lot of places versus somebody that is just sure. owning a place. And, and, right. And, and people ask me about that, the design intent of the space and what we chose what to do and what not to do. And I said, yeah, I just wanted to create a place that I want to hang out in. You know, similar, not that I'm trying to compare myself to Steve Jobs, that would be ridiculous, but he built products that he found functional and wanted to use. And I, I agree with that same philosophy. I mean, is build something that you think you you would want to participate in and get enough people around you to, to feel the same way. Right. So talking about some of the future plans um, as we kind of wrap it up here, um, barrel program, you guys have any plans for some barrel-aged beers, anything like that? I would say, you know, short term, no. Like, you know, we talked about before, just getting the, besides the six flagship beers, getting up and running on a, a full seasonal variety. Right. Uh, but the building that we're in uh, certainly has some space available uh, that, you know, that's something we'd certainly be interested in. It's, uh, I would say, short term, no, but certainly something we'd like to look at in the future. What about sours? Uh, I would say Mike and I would both agree that we're not going to be uh, making any <laughs> sours at this at this uh at this brewery yeah uh, and honestly like to me we, we feel there's some some risk in it in brewing it because you're adding the bacteria in it to get the sour so we're we're scared to death of something like that and there's honestly there's great local places here so i mean urban artifact is a perfect example if we want if we want to if we get enough demand and enough requests here that people are looking for an option for a sour why wouldn't we just buy a keg of theirs and put it on well and so what Fibonacci has done is worked with Urban Artifact, gotten them to make some, some wort, and then bring the wort in after it's already boiled again, so it's not going Got to affect it. anything, and then collaborated that way. You guys are much bigger scale than what they are, so it's probably a little harder to do that, but um, like there are a lot of fun ways to kind of play with those ideas that uh, yeah. could be fun. And to That's be quite honestly, enough. Mike and I, neither of us really appreciate that sour, so <laughs> I wouldn't know a good sour. I mean, I've 
quite frankly, I wouldn't know if I was making a good sour or not. So, I mean, all the other styles of beer I appreciate, I enjoy, and that's just not something I, so I don't know that I could so, qualify, you know, make, make a good quality sour because I don't I think You definitely seem very traditional in your style kind of approach. I Correct. think that, uh, what's, what's the farthest that you kind of stray from the traditional? Uh, I, I don't know that I do stray too far from any of the traditional. I mean, I like to make good, I mean, all the good style, you know, Belgian dark strongs. It doesn't, you know. Yeah, I would say the Belgian uh, dark would be the one I would say is probably the most stretching. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but that's, it's still a true to style. I just, I just execute them very well, in my opinion. Yeah, they're fantastic. Um, are we going to see a German alt beer? Uh, you know, to be honest, that Amber's not too far off from a, a Dusseldorf alt. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I love making all those styles. Guys, the thing I told you earlier on in the beginning, I spent a lot of time in Germany. I was uh, near Cologne and Dusseldorf. So there's there's a lot of those traditional kind of styles that I think people pass. You know, the the the, the Schwartz beers. You know, like mm-hmm. you feel like people just pass them up anymore, and then well, we don't need to do that. You know, it's nobody drinks that crap, and it's. I think I think Cincinnati is missing out on a big part of not just the German heritage that exists here, but just the the, the drinking heritage. You know, people want to sit there and just drink some good, like easy drinking but flavorful beers. And mm-hmm. yeah, you guys are poised to definitely fill that void for people. <laughs> oh, and I agree. And if you looked at our innovation funnel, I mean, there's definitely Bach and Doppelbach and Hellesbach and. Hefeweizen and you know there's all that stuff peppered in there for within the first year to 18 months in the innovation funnel so yeah I agree I think the real challenge is how far do you stretch it so that you're not spending all of your time explaining but but you're still getting people back re-engaged in some of these classic styles that's that's a good point too you know people talk about the the education side of it but you don't want to be doing that at a bar when somebody yeah. is trying to order a beer. You don't want to be trying to explain what they're ordering and what it's going to taste like. And um, That's interesting to, to think about. Yeah, it's a um, challenge. What about events? Do you guys have plans for any fun events or anything going on here? Well, we did our first one. We did our Oktoberfest release, which was great. We, you know, we had music here, which was awesome. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're starting to introduce some music. We're doing uh, trivia on Wednesday nights, so... Uh, we have the DARP, the DARP boards. DARP League is going to start soon. We've talked Euchre League as well. Um, I think we have an, I have an appetite for doing something bigger up here. So I've talked to a couple people, um, the BC's Bottle Lodge guys, uh, some of the other brewery owners. To I might take the lead in trying to spearhead something in the northern neighborhoods. You know, you've got Grainworks now, Dogberry, Fig Leaf. You know, there's a lot of people. There's others coming. So is there an opportunity in the spring to do something a little bit bigger that we can all be supported by? Well, we've, you know, we've talked on this show a lot about Cincy Beer Week and kind of how it's changed and a lot of people would say fallen apart and failed in a lot of ways and the the ability now to have beer weeks for say northern Cincinnati or you know, something like that. I think there's a lot of opportunity there to do something to you know, get people to a part of town that they don't necessarily go to on a regular basis. So, Right. Yeah, and I think it's just finding something that we can all participate in and give people a reason to come up here that first time and have a, a bigger experience than just 
hit a couple breweries. I don't know what that looks like yet, but it's in the back of my mind, and I'll be spending some time this winter meeting with all the other our other brewing compatriots up here to figure out, A, is there an appetite for it, and B, would we spitball some ideas on what would make sense? So right now, what would you tell people of, of why they need to come here? What is... What's, what's the pitch to people? Well, the first pitch is the beer. The beer is really good. So, I mean, it's it's a great environment. Um, there's, like you said earlier, I mean, it's family friendly, but it's not like we have a bunch of kids running around here either. So it's a nice blend. Um, I think we've got the games and the entertainment. Um, I think we've got a great staff. It's a very warm and inviting space. The pizza is awesome. So for me, it's just a great place to spend an evening. I, I couldn't agree better. Any any final parting words for people? Come on out and bring your friends. Enjoy the beer. Uh, you know we we work very very hard to make top quality beer, and I think we're we're there uh, very early on. And uh, you know I think everyone will appreciate it. I think it shows. I think the uh, uh, the two sides of what you guys have done here definitely both show very well. You know the, the space is dialed in perfectly if this was an Applebee's it would be a really great Applebee's <laughs> if uh, <laughs> you, you tack on the brewery to it 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 just improves everything and it's uh, it's a great space like you said to, to spend an evening bring your family bring your friends yeah yeah I, I echo the same thing I mean for, I would say give us a chance I mean we, we get a lot of repeat business so we know people are enjoying their experiences when they come here so uh, take the drive it'll be worth it or, you, I, you know, I live in Butler County, I live in Fairfield, and I know that there's a lot of people in that part of town that still have not come over here, and I, that, that seems crazy to me that it's, you know, right. <laughs> it's not that, I mean, shoot on over, like it's not right. hard, exactly. it's, you don't have to, you don't have to get down below the loop, you know, to stay up here. <laughs> right. Well, thank you guys very much for, uh, for having us out here, um, for everybody that's listening, um, share the show. Come to 16 Lots. Tell everybody about 16 Lots. Do do your thing. Do the uh, the word of mouth thing on on all uh, on all different ends because everything exists uh, from from you guys from from the uh, uh, the big cloud of um, word of mouth. I think is the best way to to put it. Yep. Um, thank you guys very much. Thank you. We will be back next week. Um, on the other side of the universe, well, it's not even that far, uh, West Side Brewing. We'll finally get down there and talk to them and uh, probably ask them many of the same questions we tackled tonight. How big is too big? What are your plans? All that fun stuff. Thank you guys very much. Cincy Brewcast, the voice of Cincy Craft. Um, do the iTunes thing where you share it or whatever. 